Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Pray and get into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Sierra Bible Church. We thank and praise you for all that you are doing for us in Christ. We thank you that we have a church that you have entrusted uh, us with uh, maintaining and caring for and loving as you have loved the church and, and given your life for her. God, we pray that we would be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. God, we pray for uh, the giving and the service unto you that this church does, that we would be honoring and pleasing in your sight. God, we thank you for, we praise you for all of the events coming up this coming summer and pray that they would fill the souls of the people of Sierra Bible Church with joy and thankfulness and gladness for all that you have done for us in Christ and in the gospel. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray that you would help us to stay focused on your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, so hopefully you have opened up your Bible. You are with me in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 10 through 18 this morning. And I just want to open with a question. Don't raise your hand, especially if, well, uh, just say don't raise your hand uh, at this question. But, uh, but how many of you would say that you genuinely have real friends? Like genuine, real friends. One website wrote an article, uh, a few ways that you will know if you have real friends. Uh, they write, friends come and go like the waves of the ocean, but the true ones stay like an octopus on your face. Another person said on this website, only real friends will tell you when your face is dirty. I mean, maybe I have too many real friends then. Another person said, if I have to clean my house before you come over, then we're not real friends. Uh, some of you might enjoy this one. Um, a true friend is one who remembers your birthday, but not your age. Uh, Oscar Wilde once famously said, a true friend stabs you in the front rather than in the back. Now, these quips are, are humorous, some truthful, but the reality is that, that friendship itself these days is in crisis. As of May of 2021, the American Perspective Survey found that Americans report having fewer closer friendships than they once did. They report talking to their friends much less often, and they report relying upon their friends for personal support significantly less than previously. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are clear from the very beginning it is not good for humans, for you and me. It is not good for us to be alone. We are designed for community and companionship. And without friends, how are we to face the evils of this dark world and the struggles and trials that life brings to us? 
without someone to confide in? How are we to receive guidance in our deepest and most struggling areas? How are we supposed to learn from our mistakes if we don't have the feedback of a friend that is going to tell us the truth about the things that we have done? Thankfully, brothers and sisters, the Christian faith provides for us spiritual resources that is able to overcome both temptation and keep us anchored through our times of significant and severe loneliness and friendlessness. Today we're going to see that overcoming temptation and overcoming the the difficulties of this world is found through the help of our friend Jesus, who is able to provide us the help that we need, and we should look to him in our time of need. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18 will show us both the foundation of our friendship in Christ and the deliverance that he provides for us as we stay focused on him. Uh, How many of you have seen, you can raise your hand if you want to, because this would make me happy uh, and to know that you are on the same page with me in this or not. Um, How many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Okay, see, we're in good company. Almost everyone here has has seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's one of the greatest stories in the modern Western canon of overcoming evil. But one of the, the, the primary themes that I love about the Lord of the Rings, and one of the greatest parts of this epic story, is the very simple and humble friendship between Samwise and Frodo. Their friendship and their bond was strong because they endured a long journey together and it was put to the test at various places with danger and suffering. And it's fitting that in the climax of the movie, it's the the bond of these two friends that is able to face the evil of Sauron. And it's fitting that the bearer of the ring, Frodo, and the friend of the one who held it, Samwise, they suffered together as they endured evil. It's against this backdrop, against a similar backdrop, that the author of the Hebrews states in verse 10 that it's fitting that the one who brought salvation to many of his friends completed it in this way. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It should not surprise us that God decided to do it this way. The founder means the originator. The founder means the the source of salvation. The one in whom all salvation began. The founder did not complete salvation, did not perfect salvation just simply through a snap of the fingers. The founder of salvation did not simply just push a button and salvation just simply appeared. The founder completed salvation through suffering. Why was it fitting for God to do it this way? Why was it appropriate for the God of the universe, who by whom created all things and by whom all things exist, why was it appropriate for him to complete salvation through the process of suffering? The answer is given in verse 11. Look with me there. For he who sanctifies or makes holy 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, the recipients of sanctification, all have one source. In order to bring many sons to glory and sons and daughters to glory, first a holy God must cleanse them. The cleansing for an unholy people to a holy God can't come from a variety of sources. You, you can't have, it would be, well, I'll just put it this way. It would be extremely ineffective for God to cleanse one type of people one way and another type of people a different way and then another type of people a different way. If there were all these various variety of sacrifices that needed to be made in order to cleanse a variety of different people a different way, it would cause a whole host of confusion. What if they ran out? What if God chose to sanctify Canadians through offering of coconut sacrifices? What if he chose to sanctify the people of Uganda through the offering of a, a beluga whale sacrifice? The variety of sources and different types of people, would, it would just be very imperfect, very confusing, and borderline unfair. But through the sacrifice of one perfectly obedient man, God can purify all imperfect people who come to God through him. And this, brothers and sisters, creates a deep and lasting bond for the one who sanctifies the sufferer and the one who receives sanctification, the one who comes to God through the sacrifice of the one who suffered. And this is why in verse 11 through 13, it can say that he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call those whom he suffered for brothers. Verse 11, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. God sanctifies his children through the sacrifice of his son. The same source sanctifies all people. They are eternally bonded to one another because they share in the same source of their joy. This is, in, this is the way in which God the Son shows his solidarity with all of the children of God through his unashamed sacrifice for them. I am willing to suffer whatever it takes in order to sanctify God's people. I am, I am willing to go to the depths of sin and destruction in order to show my solidarity with all of God's sons and daughters. It was fitting that God do it this way, that he might bring his sons and daughters to glory to be made perfect through the suffering of his perfect son. This, brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus, he is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. It's fitting that he would be willing to suffer in order to bring his, God's children to glory. Salvation from sin that separates us from God can only come through the, through the sacrifice of the Son. Isn't it interesting how 
initiations into groups of various people always involve some sort of suffering, does it not? In order to be received as a board-certified doctor, you must endure the suffering of medical school, clinicals, and years of residency. But once that suffering is complete, then the the board itself, and you pass all of your your exams, the, the board is not ashamed to call you certified. In order to become a professional athlete, you must train in a specialized field under the guidance of experts for many, many years to be recognized by a professional club who then acknowledges your sacrifice. And then once you sign for them and for that team, the club is not ashamed to call you their teammate or player for them. This is what makes the gospel so beautiful. Jesus welcomes us into a family in which we don't belong and does everything necessary to suffer in our place to bring us into his family. Even though we haven't partaken in the suffering that we deserve to cleanse us, he suffers on our behalf and unashamedly says, I will do it. I I have done it for you and I will bring you into God's family forever. This offers the supply of our sanctification for the entirety of our lives. This makes us holy because of the sacrifice of Christ. We are washed clean through his sacrifice, and it's the source of all cleansing of those who desire to be right before God and cleansed before God. We, we don't cleanse ourselves through moral performance. We don't cleanse ourselves through some external ritual or attempts towards religious perfection. Christ has completed it perfectly on the cross and suffered in our place. We simply and humbly, brothers and sisters, need to come to Jesus entirely dependent upon him and his sacrifice for us that he provides in the cleansing and he unashamedly welcomes us into his family. Let's get down to brass tacks for a minute here. There's so much dirt in this room. Foul mouths, poor parenting, unhealthy marriages, bitterness, resentment for unresolved issues among people that has lasted for years. How are we going to be cleansed from all this filth that I bring here, you bring here? The same way that Jesus rose to glory and overcame the world. We trust God's faithfulness proclaimed to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. I died for your filthy mouth. I died for your poor parenting. I died for your unhealthy marriage so that I can proclaim God's faithfulness to the dirtiest parts of the earth, cleanse people in those places, and bring them to glory. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. We can overcome temptation and evil by going to the source of our salvation, the suffering of our Savior. But just knowing that Jesus 
suffered for our sins, to cleanse us for our sins. That provides the source for our salvation, and that's great. But how do we receive the confidence that when we face the evil of this world, when we face temptation and staring us in the face, that we are not going to succumb again and again? How are we going to, to face the evil of this world and all of its allure and promises for, uh, for worldly glory and sexual temptation? How are we going to face that and not just continually fall into it? Well, we know where the source of our cleansing is and we need to continue to go to the source when we are unclean. But where is the power to resist temptation? When it's starting to stare, when it's, when it's staring its seductive face at us. The author of the Hebrews begins his exposition along these lines in verses 14 through 16. He says this in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus was in part God, in part man. Jesus never pushed the, I will overcome sin and overcome temptation through my divinity button. He didn't use God mode when he faced temptation to just be immune from it on the basis of his divinity. He didn't cheat in his humanity. He felt the tug of every seductive glance. He felt the allure of every sinful power grab. He saw the glitter of every shining object tempting him toward greed. He was flesh and blood, just like every single one of us here. But why was it necessary for him to partake in flesh and blood? Well, verse 14 continues, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Remember last week when we were talking in the book of Hebrews in chapter uh, earlier in chapter 2, that the author of the Hebrews said that angels, they don't rule the world that is to come. Angels don't have the power in the new heavens and the new earth that humanity will receive on that day. They don't have the same power in the world that is to come the same way that they have power today in this particular age. The spiritual forces of evil right now have power to shape us to tempt us, to allure us, to lead us. Why? Well, verse 14 just gave us the answer. The devil, the wicked angel who leads rebellion against God, he has the power of death. The power of death is not a firearm. The power of death is not disease or a nuclear bomb, biblically speaking. The power of death is the spiritual ability to entice humanity, God's image bearers, into sin, to allure them, to tempt them, to lead them astray, to deceive them. That's the power of death. The power of death is the, the cunning craftiness to deceive humanity into believing that their best life is right now, and they should fulfill every sinful craving that their heart and their flesh and their blood desires. Because that's what life is all about. It's a deception that's cast over humanity. This is why verse 15 says that the power of death exercises itself through creating lifelong slaves. Verse 15, 
and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's very simple how this works. The devil takes something good, something that God created to be enjoyed and received with thankfulness and praise to God, something good like love for your family, and then asks the question, well, do you want a nice house? Do you want a nice job? Do you want a nice family? And then flips it, if you want those things, don't go the route of suffering. Don't go the route of sacrificing yourself in love and service to other people for the glory of God. Worship your education. Worship your career. Worship your family portrait. Put it in the middle of your living room. Bow down before it. Honor it. Sacrifice everything else so that you can have the perfect house, the perfect life, the perfect family. Right here and right now, you can have it. Just sacrifice yourself for those things and give yourself over in worship to them. Give everything that you will have. You will receive your reward. You want your nice house. You want your nice family. You want your nice... Your nice job, worship those things. You will receive your reward, but you'll lose your soul. And you'll live as a lifelong slave to your mortgage, to your boss, and to your family vacations. And Lord Jesus, free us from the bondage of family vacations. I'm teasing family, I love them. And then when our idols get challenged, the things that we are worshiping, when they get challenged, then we'll defend them to our death, will we not? We'll do everything in our power to defend what what we worship. Because death takes it all away. And we'll kill whatever comes towards our idol. And this is the beauty of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus took on the devil, the one who has power of death, to lead many people to eternal damnation, to to drag them along with him into eternal condemnation. He has that power, and Jesus takes him on face to face, head to head. Before Jesus arrived on the scene, the devil was undefeated with humanity. He successfully tempted every single human being that has ever existed, and he's leveraged the power of death over them in a way that's dragged them into God's judgment with him. Jesus partook of the same humanity that you have and that I have and every other human being has, but when Satan tempted him with worldly power and sinful pleasure, Jesus resisted fully. Jesus partook of the the same flesh, the same blood, but he never gave himself over to the alluring power of sin. He never became a slave to sin. And death was never able to be used as a manipulating force in his life. This is why he needed to rebuke Peter when Jesus is talking about his suffering and death that he's about to go to on the cross. And and Peter says, surely not you, Lord. And what does Jesus reply back to Peter? Get behind me. Satan, there's no way to heaven except through the cross. Jesus knew it. The only one who is trying to tell you that there is another way is Satan himself. And his message preaches. It 
Therefore, because Jesus did go to the cross, Jesus can deliver every person who has come under the spiritual deception of the devil because he overcame death and he offers eternal life. Jesus, through his death, broke the spiritual power of sin that Satan uses to leverage death against humanity. And now that Jesus has overcome death, broken the power of death, delivered his people from lifelong slavery due to the slave master, the devil, now because of all of that, he is personally there for every single one of us in our time of need. It does not matter what your time of need looks like. It might look different than another person's time of need. But because of what Jesus has done on his suffering on the cross, providing the source of salvation, because of his ascension to the throne and the pouring out of his spirit, he is present with every person who comes to, him, to God through him in their time of need. Verse 16, For surely... It is not the angels that he helps. Jesus did not become an angel. He didn't die for the sins of Lucifer and the fallen angels. The, the angels sinned, they received judgment, eternal judgment, no second chance, no mercy. Jesus comes as a human being, get, dies for humanity in their place for their sins is raised from the dead and is offering new life to every human who comes to God through him. And the angels are looking at this and saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I've never tasted anything like that. Grace is not for the angels. Grace is for God's image bearers. For surely it's not the angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He continually and unceasingly helps those who come to God by faith, just as the father of our faith, Abraham, did. This is the reason for the incarnation. God sends his son to help his children to overcome temptation and evil of the world through the sacrifice of himself by being present with his people always spiritually. Jesus was made like his brothers to help them. Look at verses 17 and 18 that completes his thought on this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, fully human, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. It would have been so easy for Jesus to never go to the cross when Peter said, surely you shouldn't suffer. It would have been so easy for Jesus to be like, yeah, you're right, I don't want to do that and just ascend it into heaven. He never sinned. It was plausible. He didn't have any taint on his soul. In the middle of the most severe temptation to greed or sexual immorality, he could have just turned to his father. No cross, no suffering, no pain. But if he would have done that, he would never have been able to offer any help to anyone else. He would be sitting up in heaven if that were his case. He'd be fully man in heaven, glorified, untainted from sin. 
But he'd be in heaven saying, those suckers, if only they could have done it as good as I did. But that would be no service to God and there would be no help to God's people. He made propitiation for sin. It's a beautiful word. Learn that word. Propitiation means absorbing the fullness of the penalty of sin, the fullness of the wrath of God he took on himself, the fullness of the wrath that sin induces against people. He took it on himself personally and bodily so that there's none left for the people. And because he suffered, because of this suffering, he knows what it feels like to endure temptation, to resist sin even to the point of shedding his own blood, even to the point of death, which means every person who comes to him by faith, comes to God by him or through him by faith, can overcome temptation in their life through his help. Brothers and sisters, this, this world is, is so full of sin. This world is so full of death and decay and destruction. From the report of sexual abuse and the Southern Baptist Convention to the mass shootings that have happened in Buffalo and Texas recently, this world is a smorgasbord of death. And do you know who enjoys the, the feast of fear that gets stoked in every single one of these tragedies? You know who loves to feed this world with more and more death and destruction and fear? The devil. He can leverage his spiritual power and stoke the flames of humanity's innate fear of death, and he can wreak all sorts of havoc on people in this world. But do you know who hasn't changed his position on the coming judgment for sexual predators? or the judgment coming to those who have lust for, have bloodlust for violence, or who hasn't changed his position on the depravity of evil in, the hum, in humanity's heart. You know who hasn't changed one inch or one, moved one, one even inch, we'll just keep that measurement? Jesus. The one who created the universe and is living in eternal glory the one who did not have to become human, but did so to be a merciful and faithful high priest, became, suffered, bled, and died on behalf of fearful people like you and like me who lose their minds every time something happens and, and when we're all disoriented, Jesus is sitting in heaven and saying, come to God through me. Come to me for help. Come to me when you're facing temptation. Come to me when you're broken and hurting and confused and full of fear and wondering what, what is going to happen next. He came down to wage war against death itself. And brothers and sisters, he overcame. Not on guns, not on bombs, not on nations, not on laws, but on the one who is far worse than any worldly weapon. The one who uses his spiritual power to manipulate people made in the image of God to do atrocious acts of violence. Jesus Christ took that being on with his own body, saying to Satan, if you want to drag them to eternal judgment because that's where you're going, you are going to have to go through me. 
And Satan unleashed the fullness of his fury on Jesus until all of his resources were exhausted on Jesus' body. Jesus' flesh and blood absorbed every hateful word, every greedy motive that Satan could ever accuse any of God's children of. And because the fullness of the accusation of the penalty and the penalty for sin was placed upon Jesus, and Jesus overcame it in his resurrection for those he died for, there is no longer any fear of judgment for the people of God, for the sin, for the children of God. It has been placed fully on Jesus. That means that the fear, that our fear of loss, the source of the power of temptation is gone. Jesus is, has been, and will be forever a merciful and faithful high priest, a merciful and faithful friend. He's always there. He always fully understands. He never turns his face away from God's children as they plead to God for help. He suffered in his body to overcome temptation that your soul experiences continually so that he can be there to help. This means two things for us. First, and we need to cling to this, we need to allow for this to go deep into our soul and shape our thinking and shape our soul's experience in this present evil age. We need to go deep in thinking that Jesus is, and this is not a trope, this is straight from the scriptures, I just showed you how it works. Jesus is the friend who will always be there for you. Always. He has both the presence that you need when you are experiencing temptation. He's present spiritually. He has sent his spirit to be present with all of his people at every moment of the day, in every season of life. He is there, present, when you are experiencing temptation. But he not only provides you with his presence, he provides you spiritually with his power to overcome temptation, not through your own good works, not through pulling yourself up by your bootstrap and saying, well, I'm going to go to church this week and that's going to get me over the hump to make sure that I'm right with God. No, the power to overcome temptations by looking to Jesus, by in the midst of, I'm tempted to click on that website right now, God. And I know if I'm only relying upon resources within myself, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole that's going to drag me into the filth of this world. God, I need your power. I need your strength. I need your spiritual sufficiency in this moment because I don't have it myself. That's the spiritual power to overcome temptation. Jesus is the friend that you will, that, who will always be there for you. And secondly, faith in Jesus removes all fear of loss. Death leverages itself to spiritually manipulate us into thinking that our loss is permanent and final. And so we will protect ourselves from loss at great cost. But faith in Jesus and in his resurrection promises us that the fear of death is gone and that we will be with him eternally one day, and we can endure whatever loss this age has to throw at us because of the resurrection. And so just do a simple spiritual exercise before you go home today. 
The place where you are most tempted for sin is the thing that you fear losing the most. The place where Satan and his minions can get a foothold in your life is through the thing that is most valuable to you. And he will use that to drag you away from Jesus and drag you away from faith in him. So before you leave today, work through. What's the main thing in your life that you're scared to lose? What's the, whether it's your job, your family, your position, your friends, what is the thing that you just say, I, I can't lose that? Present that thing before Jesus and say, this is for you, Jesus. Lord, you give, Lord, you take away. And ask Jesus to, for help to overcome any temptation to sin in order to protect that thing and the thought of losing it. For me, I've shared this a number of times publicly. For me, it means asking Jesus to help me be the father to my children that they need, even if it means them turning out much differently than I plan or intend. Some of us here in this room are still living under the slavery of the fear of death. If that's you and you've never trusted Christ, you don't know him as friend, today is the day that you can trust him. Talk with myself, one of the pastors, another believer who is here who can help you begin your friendship with Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you that you sent your son to become flesh flesh and blood, to experience temptation the way that we experience temptation, but yet you did not give in. You did not satisfy sin, but you overcame sin through the cross. God, help us. Help us to endure. Help us to receive, our, receive help in our time of need. God, help us to, to come to you with the most painful and difficult areas where we are tempted most severely. And help us to offer our lives completely unto you because you're the only place, you're the only person who genuinely and eternally can keep them safe. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.